Welcome to Persisters, an all-female live show and podcast. Each episode showcases one artist. You'll hear their performance from our live show, followed by an interview with us, Beth Rowe and Alex Kern. Please listen and please subscribe. Hi, everybody. Um, Let's give a warm round of applause for all the inspiring and moving stories we've heard here tonight. I would now like to talk about some things that are very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Dick jokes. (laughs) And myself. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm very excited to be here. And, um, you know, I just want to say that out loud because I know that my face looks like I'm not excited to be anywhere. (laughs) This is a full grin, so. Um, And because of that, people often ask me, like, are you in a bad mood? And, and I don't know what to say to that, because I feel like there's no good answer. You know, it's like when you were a kid and a bully would be like, are you going to cry? Um, first of all, yes. <laughs> but if, if a bully asks if you're going to cry, you're going to cry. It's like the opposite effect of when a man asks, are you going to come? <laughs> so you see now that my activism takes a different shape. Yes. <laughs> Um, I also have bad posture. Uh, I think I had good posture when I was younger until I grew boobs and the first man's leer hit me straight in the chest and permanently concaved my body. (laughs) And even now, standing like this feels very aggressive, you know? It feels like I'm the Oprah of my own boobs. Like, you get a titty and you get a titty. I'll get that from you later. It's like a I have your nose situation. Um, I decided to lean into my mean face and get Botox not that long ago. And uh, my boyfriend, who is a, um, he's like a moderately tattooed cool guy who I've like invested a lot of time into making sure that he is woke. (laughs) He's in the room. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He was like, babe, it just makes me so sad that you couldn't feel beautiful without injecting a dangerous poison into your face. And I was like, yeah, I know how you feel. It makes me sad that you couldn't feel beautiful without having a stranger permanently etch an old-timey ship onto your chest. (laughs) Even though you've never served aboard the open seas. (laughs) So he never bothered me about it again. (laughs) Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's none of your fucking business. Um, No, I I like to roast him publicly, but uh, my boyfriend and I have been together for a while um, to the point that like a few years ago when I saw pictures of engagement rings I liked, I would put them on secret Pinterest boards. And now when I see pictures of engagement rings I like, I airdrop them to him when we're connected to the same Wi-Fi network. (laughs) It's very subtle. Um, Even though I know that there's like 24,527 reasons that we aren't married and they are all dollars we owe credit card companies. (laughs) I've started to feel about marriage the way I feel about like doing ayahuasca. Like it sounds terrifying, but I still want to do it. And when I do, I will most, almost definitely aggressively throw up. 
it is hard to know if you're ready to get married to someone though when you you and your partner have what we what we can call like um different maturity levels like if if one of you never refills the water filter and always leaves their facial hair trimmings on the sink um then your boyfriend's gonna take longer to propose, apparently. <laughs> uh, tonight's theme is spring cleaning, and while I don't have anything that speaks to that specifically, we have been making our home nicer lately and you know, sparking joy and whatnot. And um, I looked around our apartment and I realized that everything that makes it nice has been uh, his, his choice, something is brought into our home. And uh, I realized that I'm the fuckboy in our relationship. <laughs> Like, if it wasn't for him, I'd just have bare walls and a mattress on the floor. <laughs> and I'm still like, can't you just support us both while I try to make a career out of skateboarding? <laughs> Except it's comedy, which is worse. <laughs> um, I do like to express my love for him in sort of unconventional ways, though. Like, I like to send him nudes. Um, because I don't like saying things like, I love you, you're my world. Like, that's corny. <laughs> I'd much rather be like, here is a picture of my choach. Um, and I had, I had a little bit of a meltdown not that long ago about the fact that we were like not even in negotiations for marriage. And, uh, and I was out of town for work at the time. And so I called him and we talked about it and like everything was cool. And nary but an hour later, I received the first dick pic I've ever gotten from him. <laughs> And it felt like, okay, we're moving in the right direction. <laughs> You're speaking my love language. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't like a ring on the tip of it or anything. <laughs> but I did call my mom and tell her how excited I was. So. Um, I'm going to throw a real curveball at you guys here. Um, I have anxiety. <laughs> Uh, I have anxiety when there's like a lot of bad things happening or even just like a lot of things happening. Also when nothing's happening, I just need help. <laughs> um, and to deal with my anxiety, I, I started making to-do lists and um, I found that Benjamin Franklin is credited with the invention of the to-do list. And I also found that Benjamin Franklin was a womanizer and so I feel like his like stress management situation had less to do with like not having a list and more with the fact that he was like up at 3 a.m. putting quill to parchment to send to these lady friends. Like, art thou up? <laughs> Lightning doesn't strike twice, but this dick does. <laughs> I love when saying that benefits a charity. <laughs> um... <laughs> I also have depression because I'm greedy. <laughs> and uh, I think it can be hard for people that I'm close to to tell when I'm depressed um, because I already dress for comfort, primarily. <laughs> I'm dressed up right now and I have camel toe, so. Um, but like I, I work from home, so when my boyfriend gets back from work, he has to figure out like, are those her sadness sweatpants? <laughs> or her business sweatpants. <laughs> like I'm the Mr. Rogers of existential dread and I just change with my moods. Like, it's a beautiful day for despondency, a beautiful day for dejection. Won't you be my enabler? <laughs> um, 
There are things I like about being depressed, though, and one of them is that it makes me feel like kind of strong and tough. Uh, because I'm not afraid of anything, because I'm like, nothing matters. Like, I become a human Limp biscuit song. <laughs> and, and I kind of like to think about what would happen if, if I got robbed when I was, like, in this zone. Like, if somebody was like, hey, give me your wallet. I'd be like, fuck you, give me your wallet. <laughs> you don't know my financial situation or my mental state. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, my bad. I thought those were business sweatpants. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thank you for coming to Persisters. Alex. Hey, Beth. Hey. So, Alex, we have a guest here Ooh, today. We do. You haven't turned to your right yet. Oh, my gosh. Wait, let me look. <gasps> there she is. Hi. In all her beautiful purple glory. Yes. So much purple. Yeah. Annalise Decker Hernandez. Thank Hello. you for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You are a delight on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Hysterical. Yeah. I really a bunch terrible. of my friends actually showed up. I feel like you, brought you so never know people. when your friends are going to show up to your show. So you never know. Um, but like eight of them came, maybe yeah. more. Yeah, I don't at know. One point I had you were like, like I'm responsible for so many people that are here. I was like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was really awesome. You killed. Um, yeah, I loved it. Um, it was a, definitely a, like a different type of show for me to be on. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and great job with the the lineup putting me last because i feel like that was a good move yeah <laughs> yeah i i it, there were, were some great. emotional pieces so yeah. that will be hard to that you'll just I have to w- wait i'm glad to i didn't hear. have to detract from that you know i don't want yeah. to detract from like the gravity of that but i right. love the way you guys do it where you kind of space um a stand-up and then somebody who's doing something different just mm-hmm. to kind of like keep it Balanced. Mm-hmm. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I think we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you'll. I mean, I think the way that you transitioned between something that was a little bit more dramatic into your piece, ending mm-hmm. with now something a little near and dear to my heart. Yeah, dick jokes <laughs> and myself. It's a very good transition. We like that a lot. Yeah, our favorite though is the tattoo of the old timey ship. Yeah, yes. Botox old timey ship. Yeah, that's it, my favorite. It, I would say that is my strongest joke. So <laughs> you guys are onto something. Would there. your boyfriend be okay if we posted a picture of said tattoo of him? Um, well, I changed. You know, it's not totally. The details are not exact. <laughs> you can oh, get a ship tattoo of anybody. Oh, you know, he we'll does, just use a different body. He actually has the ship on his arm. It yeah. just sounds better when I say chest. But on his it chest, does. he actually has like a fucking eagle holding an American flag or no, something. Honey. Yes. Did he vote for Trump? Which is, no, <laughs> no. Even though his chest tattoo says differently. Right. Um, I mean, it's still a funny tattoo, but like I, you know, it just works. It works in my joke for yeah. a certain reason. Totally. <laughs> so we fudge the truth a little bit sometimes. Hey, we do. I hate that's to show everybody do. how the sausage is made, but. Mm. Well, that's what we're here for, mm-hmm. to unpack that sausage. <laughs> so Annalise. Yes. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to USC for college. I assume that's what you're referring to. But USC, I, like the uh, the admission scandal. USC, yes, the, the very same. Although I do really quickly want to plug my high school, Whitney oh. M. Young Magnet in oh. Chicago, Illinois. Cool. Okay. Um, just a diamond a in the school. Chicago public school system. Um, and and something I would like move back to Chicago to have my kids go there. Michelle wow. Obama went there. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in the city. Mm-hmm. It was in the West Loop. Got it. And it's, uh, it is the 
second most diverse school in America. That's wow, incredible. where's the most diverse school in America? That is Thomas Jefferson in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, somewhere in Northern Virginia. Huh. Oh, I thought you were going to say Thomas Star Middle School. I was and like, also, that is like, right around the corner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, uh, do I sometimes spend my time looking at rankings of public schools on the internet? Absolutely. For Are my you prepping for, for my unborn children. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's a little type A. Well, then thing I do. you and then your connection with USC. I mean, you've got an admission scandal just waiting oh, for yeah. you, for your own children. Yeah. Well, I went to USC because uh, it was the best film school in the country at the yeah. time. And uh, also they gave me the biggest scholarship out of anywhere Good I applied to. You're the second person I know that told me after this admission scandal that like, not only did you get into USC, which is so amazing, mm-hmm. but also to get a scholarship is like insane and not to like bring the room down but I did then lose it when I had like a mental breakdown <laughs> in my <laughs> sophomore year everything is comp so you was know this when you were t- cheerleading um it was around the time that I was cheerleading actually you were a cheerleader at USC yes and um we don't perform at the football games it was like competition cheerleading so we would drive to the place like Long Beach and do these like competitions like the ones you see on ESPN and I was a tumbler so I brought a lot of value to the team. So you were a gymnast. Oh you grew up gymnast. Yes, I did. Until I was about 12 and then I grew boobs and um and they were like at 5'3 and 115 pounds. They were like you're getting a little heavy for this. Oh god, you have to be like 85 pounds. And I and then that was wow. also around the time where I was at the level where it was like you had to start going to a gym with like you know, two Russian coaches who are like prepping you for the Olympics and, and, uh, practicing like for four hours, five days a week. And I was like, this is going to be a pass for me, mom. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's like an entirely different world. No, but also good for you. I like, I, I look back and like all the, the sports that I quit and didn't stick with. And I was like, man, if I had just stuck with it, but if you stuck with it, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. Yeah. I also like recently went to a UCLA gymnastics meet. Yeah. And I was like, damn, you know, I really, I should have stuck with it and like, you know, got at least gotten, uh, yeah, they play, they, they perform, they do their thing. It's like a swim meet, but a gymnastics meet. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the UCLA team, but the UCLA teams, because I was like, oh, I could have gotten a gymnastics scholarship to college. Except the UCLA. I did. You wanted two scholarships? I wanted a full scholarship because the rest of the the Michelle Obama school. I want two scholarships. I I do. Um, (laughs) But I I still had to borrow a ton of money because it's a very expensive school. Yeah. Um, So sometimes I was like, oh man, I wish that I had gotten a a gymnastics scholarship. And then I went to a UCLA gymnastics meet and everyone on the team has like been at an Olympic level at some point. So I was like, oh, I never would have made it that far. Just kidding. Wow, that's insane. I didn't even think of, I don't know, that as being a, I know I've seen it on ESPN, but I don't know. I was like, I never thought of it being in college or. Mm-hmm. And that one girl, Caitlin Okashi, has been like her, um, her routines have been like going viral lately. From she uh, has UCLA. Such fun, yeah. She does these floor yeah, routines like to Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah. Um, Are you it's really just about picking the right music. No, I, I idolize her. Oh, you- <laughs> also, everybody on the UCLA gymnastics team is like. A ten out of ten level beautiful. Like uh, they're all course. gorgeous. Yeah, wow. it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Can I just say that imagining you as I feel like you and I have very similar energy levels, mm-hmm. and imagining you as a cheerleader is like imagining 
Daria as a cheerleader. So if you've mm-hmm. ever seen the movie Bring It On yeah, um, yeah. with Eliza Dushku, Hell yeah. uh, my cheerleading like team called me Missy. Oh my gosh. And um, I would say that the my cheerleading squad was like, you know, 23 black girls, me, and like one high maintenance white girl. <laughs> and so they were like, so things would happen. Like they called me Missy from Bring It On. And um, like one time I was changing and my, my underwear came down with my shorts. And one of them was like, damn, I just turned around and saw your big white ass. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. But like everybody on that team was so comfortable with their body yeah. that like it made me not as self-conscious about you know because they just like talked about stuff super openly mm-hmm. that's like what you alex is was like you were a like a real real college athlete and sometimes alex will just change and she doesn't like i like she's very much an athlete in that way Thank she's you. just like taking my pants off <laughs> so you just always have to be naked around people yeah yeah but um, so can we have a moment to talk about the USC college yeah, scandal? Because I love it. I mean, I I, <laughs> Me mean, too. I haven't. The, the past two weeks have not been exciting. Definition of Schadenfreude. Yeah. What does that mean again? It's like when a storm of. It's like when yeah, when somebody who it's like watching somebody fail who you think deserves it, kind of. Right. They. The only thing I don't. I might have like, defined that in, incorrectly. So just that edit that out if like I'm wrong. About making fun of Lori Laughlin's daughter. Is I don't that, like, like that, period. Is that they they also recently came out that, that she had um like her patent for her makeup kits was not passed because of uh like the wording of it. Spelling errors spelling errors or like grammatical, grammatical errors. errors. It's yeah. also like so dude, petty she's a nineteen year old businesswoman. Like yeah. also relax. She didn't, I mean, I get it. The whole, like, I don't know if I'm going to go to classes. I don't know if I have time. I want to, like, party. But she didn't do it. Like, she, her parents did it. Yeah, it's her parents' problem. Also, like, like, thank God I was born when I was. Because if everything I did when I was, like, in high school and 19 years old and in college was public information. What is it going to be like for our kids, you guys? Oh God! They're just gonna, everyone's going to pri- grow to up private, like the Truman Island. Show. But I think by then maybe it'll have balanced out, and people will know a little bit better. Yeah, like how to be careful and I, like behave the other yourself. day. I woke up and I was like, I'm so sick of drinking coffee. Like, can I get a different beverage? And then I felt this. Then I then <laughs> later on I was like, God, I am so sick of checking Facebook. Like, I mm. want this to be done. Like, I'm ready for this to be done. This is a waste of time. I feel that way about Instagram. Because it just sucks me in. And I'm like, why? Yeah, it's fun. I lose a lot of time on social media as well. I actually, I deleted the Facebook app from my phone. I I still check it through the Safari So do I, girl. But but because it's more annoying, I have started to do it less. And that feels like progress to me. You also went to college right at the time where you had to be in college to get a Facebook account. That's correct. That's yes. right when it started. Yeah. Because yeah. I was a we freshman. We were all so anxious to get our uh, university emails because then we could sign up for Facebook. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you, and you studied film at USC. I did. Film okay. production. And then, but then you left LA afterwards, right? Um, no, I stayed for a few years. Okay. Um, I went to New York for two years. 
uh, you like were only 2011. there for two. Yeah, like and 2011 that's when we to met? 2013. Yes, that is correct. The mm-hmm. world's yeah, just you're, gets you're one of those people that's connected to a lot of people. Like we know a lot of same like the same people, and then you guys. Know I know. I was people. shocked that I hadn't met you earlier than I did. Also, that you'd like been to my apartment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, she's friends with my one of my neighbors. So I remember when I met you, you had just produced a film. Yes. That's on Amazon now? Yes. Okay. Um, Peach Plum Pear. We uh, we filmed it many years ago. I uh, do not want to be too specific because we've already devalued it considerably by letting <laughs> so much time pass. Um, wow. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a indie drama um, about two guys on a road trip who stop in a small town and their car gets stolen. Um, and so they their lives sort of start to intertwine with these people in a small town in Nebraska. Cool. Fun. I mean, secretly Echo Park, but in the story, Nebraska. Nebraska. Love it. And then you also, you worked in production in New York for a while, right? Yeah, I worked okay. uh, in television production, mostly as a PA and production secretary um, on a bunch of pilots that I don't think any of them ever became shows, except for Gaffigan, but not with our pilot. They shot several versions of it. And then you worked on Piers' movie. I did, um, yes, in 2014 um, in the suburbs of Boston. Uh, That movie is called We Don't Belong Here, and I always forget because it changed. Mm. Um, And, uh, yeah, it has an amazing cast. It's uh, Catherine Keener, um, one of Anton Yelchin's last films, and one of our... uh, producers actually ended up working on the documentary about him that just came out at Sundance, Mm. um, working with his parents. He was a really smart, nice guy. He was like always reading like historical books and our director also would tell him like, he was like, yeah, I was having this dream about like 19th century philosophy. And our director was like, your dreams sound like school. (laughs) That was like, he was just always like trying to like better himself and learn. And um, yeah, I didn't know him super well, but that was wow. just, you know, what I remembered about. This him. was his last film that he made, or it the no? Last it one wasn't that... the last one. It was it was one of the last ones. Um, I'm actually not sure because you know things come out at such different mm, paces. Sure. Um, and then uh, Caitlin Deaver, who's in the new film Booksmart, uh, was also in our movie, and Carrie Elwes. And then we had some really great uh, comedic actors who just did a couple days, uh, Molly Shannon and Maya Rudolph mm, in particular. Wow. I didn't know Maya Rudolph was in it. Yeah. Maya Rudolph is Alex's favorite. And, um, and Annie Stark, who is wow. Glenn yeah. Close's daughter right. and plays the younger her and the wife. And one day, um, while we were shooting that film, I went to brunch with Annie, Maya Rudolph and Catherine Keener. And I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> That, I, do you have a picture from that brunch? No, I don't. Just in your head? Just in my head. That's all you really need. How and when did you get into comedy? <laughs> um, so when I moved back from New York uh, and then also did uh, Pierce Film, I got back to L.A. and had like didn't know what to do with myself because I was coming off of shooting a film and had no job. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I moved in with, I got a place with my boyfriend. He had been like apartment hunting while I was in Boston. Um, and the day after we moved in, I got a dog cause I needed a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Sure. That's mm-hmm. normal. Um, she is the light of our life. She's wonderful. What's her name? Bindle. Oh, cute. Yeah. Cute she's a little chubby right now. Um, happens. Happens Same. to the best of us. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she, I just, I was just at home and she was just perched on a pillow on the couch, barking at passerby, just 
in everybody's business on the neighborhood watch. My She's dogs do that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I got uh, I got a job with um, I work for a self publishing company. I had regular work hours, and I was like, "Wow, this is so weird," um, because I was where <laughs> used to working in production, right. and so I was like, "I'm going to find something to do with myself." And um, I really like trying new things with the guidance of a class. So um, yeah, so I found a stand up class and decided to try it. I had tried it in New York, and I did a class at the Pit, and I and I did some open mics, and um, it just didn't really take because it was also hard to balance with doing production out there. Um, so yeah, I did a class, and uh, it it got me to perform without being so terrified. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a couple more like rounds of writing groups and stuff like that. And yeah, now it's been like three and a half years. Did you, so before you started doing stand-up, you did, you did improv, right? I did. I did a little bit of improv. Um, I never was very good at it. Uh, I still don't know that I've learned how to do improv. I, uh, you know, I tried a couple times. It's like the same thing as like sommeliers. It's like the more you know, the less you know, and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's an interesting comparison. (laughs) Just like improvisers are like sommeliers. They are. Love it. Print it. Yes, and. um, (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, I did improv before, and I actually recently did some dabbling in sketch. I knew some people on a sketch team who invited me to be a part of it, and I I did that for three or four months, and then I was like, you know what? I'm doing too much stuff. Yeah, it's easy to get overloaded with. Because I want to say yes to everything, especially everything Because you took an improv class? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it's, like... Dealing with time and the way I deal with money is like kind of the same. I just feel like I, you can just fill all of it until you've gone over mm-hmm. and then it's like gone, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not a super great management system for either of those things, um, but it's something I am working on and well, growing so, with. So before you started doing improv and stuff in New York, were you performing at all when you went to school at USC? Um, no, I was strictly in production. In fact, I took one like acting for director's class and really did not like it. So you wouldn't consider yourself an actor? I would now. Now. Got um, it. I, after I did stand up, I was like, oh, I actually really like performing and writing. Cool. And it turns out I can do these things. And I think that was something that I was embarrassed about um, for most of my life. Uh, I like, I was like, oh, I was just afraid that everybody would be like, what a cliche. She moved to L.A. and now she wants to act. Sure. And it's like nobody was thinking about me, let alone having that cohesive of a thought. Um, and so after I did stand up, I was like, oh, perhaps I should lean into this thing that I've like always been curious about. And, um, you know, I've been at an acting studio for a couple of years now. So that's like another thing I do. And, uh, yeah, I really kind of right now I'm in it for the love of the game. You know, I'd love to, I feel like now there's more and more people who write and act sort of collaboratively with Mm -hmm. the same groups of people and they, you know, they do everything and it's not like it used to be that if you did more than one thing, people didn't take you seriously for any of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's a lot more accepted to be doing more stuff. Um, but it definitely contributes to burnout, especially when like the career stuff you want to do is not actually making you a living. Um, and yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the pursuit that all of us are kind of going through and it can be, it can be very isolating. 
Um, it can be isolating, but also like you're talking to two people that are going through it at the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I do really, really, really applaud you and appreciate when people say, hey, I'm doing a lot, but I'm doing the best I can every mm-hmm. single day. And it's nice to hear that from other people because it's nice to hear that you're not alone. Yeah, We're all trying to figure it out. I also love that you came back to you. You like came into the love of acting because you were writing your own material and performing it mm-hmm. in stand up. That's that's so cool. I mean, that's that's the yeah. And then I um I actually took like a TV writing course at UCLA. Like I realized that like I would like to do this for a living. Um, and I feel like I had just been dancing around it a lot. Like I I did you know, production at USC and it was cool because that program's really hard to get into. But like it took four years of production and uh, many thousands of dollars to figure out that that was not what I wanted to do. Um, and, and like, you know, 10 plus years of working in production for me to figure out, I don't think that, I don't feel like I'm contributing creatively with like the best of my talents in this Mm -hmm. way. And I've worked with people who are just like born to do that. Um, And I am not one of those people. It puts an amount of stress on me that just does not make me a great person. What's the Mm -hmm. type of person that was born to do producing? Um, People, I think people who are like kind of laid back about it and are able to be like, Check off a task. Uh, yeah, and also like negotiate a contract and are like not afraid of agents, which is like definitely not me, <laughs> but like perfectly comfortable being like, no, like kiss my ass, sign this contract or walk, whatever. And it's like, that is not me. I'm like, I'm so sorry to bother you. <laughs> I like how that motorcycle revved up when it was started getting heated in your conversation yeah. inside your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's I can't perfect. take this. <laughs> vroom, vroom. But yeah, I just like, I'm already an anxious person and it's like, I can't really leave stuff undone or let things go. And I think that actually made, like, it made me good at producing, but bad at like being a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I don't, I don't think this is for me. And and one of those films that I worked on, you know, I worked with um, Pierre Peterson. He was the director on it. He's a good friend of mine. All the other producers were friends and it was like the most, and we had some resources and it was like the most ideal scenario. And it was like, I did that. And I was like, wow, that was such a great experience. And yet I still feel like this maybe is not for me, Hmm. Um, which was hard to come to because I feel like I worked, you know, I worked for a long time to even get to that point. And then to be like, well, I guess I'm just going to pivot completely. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that that's becoming a lot more, accepted and that it's like you know now I go to like table reads with those people pretty frequently and so I'm still kind of in the mix and who knows how that's gonna connect later in time well I think that's a good thing about this industry is that you can do a lot of pivoting although you might feel a little crazy while it's happening you still learn because something everyone's interconnected and it's like you're taking the skills that you learned from all those years doing producing and then you're gonna have those even though you're like and then you're going to use them in your comedy or your writing to get the pilot made or to sell it or whatever. And you know the people who can help you do that. Yeah. I um, I haven't written anything for myself yet. I feel like I like have some resistance towards it. So that's like the thing I'm looking towards. That you would be next. In. Yes. Yeah. Something to film? Mm-hmm. Or s- Amazing. Yeah. That's short? Cool. Feature? Um, probably either short or like some web content. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So why did you go to New York for two years? Was it for? Um, 
in uh, vague terms, I worked for a company. Um, I was an assistant. It was not a healthy uh, environment hmm. for me. And it was like kind of traumatizing. Um, and mm-hmm. it was, I was working for people who came up at a company that has been uh, very frequently mentioned in the news in the last couple of years um, that has a culture of uh, treating people below you uh, terribly mm. um, and taking advantage of your position of power. Um, and so I think that I experienced a little bit of the trickle down from that. And um, one day my boss told me to grow a fucking backbone and I said, okay, I quit. Hmm. And it was, I was 23, 24 maybe. And I had just started having panic attacks. And I think that the job kind of contributed to that. And then once it all kind of went down and like I had to have a meeting with the president and they were like, you know, you've used a lot of language about this being a hostile work environment that we have to respond to. And then it became like a big legal thing. And, um, and I was like, I just need to leave town. And I was dating somebody at the time who also was interested in moving to New York. So like three weeks after I quit, I packed my stuff into the very same Toyota 4Runner that I drive today, and I drove across the country to New York. What part of New York did you live in? I lived in Williamsburg, um, nice. and I lived in did. two. Di- yeah, I lived in two different apartments while I was there because my the guy I moved there with um, we broke up, as one does when you move to New York with someone, I guess. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I had like some single time in New York, and that was fun too. And uh, and then I came back. To speak about your anxiety and depression mm-hmm. really quick. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like stand up or comedy in general, writing, et cetera, has helped? Um, you know, a lot of my like a lot of my jokes are about anxiety and depression. And I was like going through a pretty tough time when I transitioned to working from home because just like the lack of human energy yeah. and also like the lack of accountability for like not staying in my pajamas all day was really hitting me. Um, and I've learned to navigate it a little better, which sometimes means like going to a coffee shop just to have like human beings around me or going outside and walking my dog just to like breathe air. Um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but I, I really try to, find the humor in it i mean anyone who has been on the internet recently knows that like depression memes are really taking off i didn't know that i didn't know that either yeah i feel like they're maybe it's just the the circle of the internet i travel in (laughs) um but i just love that people i mean we're like the most depressed generation because of the circumstances that we're in like societally economically and also technology wise like it's had an effect on our mental health at large Um, And as somebody who I think was already like predisposed to that since like puberty, I think that the best thing that's ever happened to me has been finding a way to turn it into comedy. And I actually wrote a pilot that is about uh, two girls in college who are both like going through mental illness and uh, they meet in their college counseling group and sort of guide each other through what's supposed to be like the best years of their lives while their like serious mental illness is setting in. And oh it is a multicam comedy. <laughs> and, um, That's you know, so I, I think that, I think just finding, you know, humor is such a release of tension. And I think that that tension often lives around the things that are difficult for us. 
and um, you know, talking about it makes other people feel more seen and feel more comfortable. And um, you know, maybe somebody will see me laughing about my depression and think like, oh, could I someday feel this way about the terror that you know overtakes me every morning for my for when I open up my eyes? Yeah. Should I maybe see a professional about this? Mm-hmm. And if you know, I've, I've been through many years of therapy and medications and, um, you know, so on and so forth. And I, I feel like a lot of people are afraid that if they get treated or they get medication, that it's going to dull their creativity. Um, and I think that kind of thinking is also like what led a lot of artists to overdose on drugs. Um, but also like, for me personally, when I was truly depressed, like I felt like I was living behind a frosted glass window pane and I could not connect with the rest of the world at all. So only when that stuff has sort of been um, dealt with and, you know, managed for me, have I really been able to to write and perform and to like lean into all this stuff that I feel like I really enjoy doing. That's incredible. That's like also just such a cool way you're medicating yourself. You're like self-medicating through comedy and self-expression. And also through medication. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be totally 100. <laughs> but you didn't grow prescribed up like... Prescribed by a doctor, not, <laughs> not self, self-prescribed. But you didn't like grow up watching SNL every Saturday. You know, I and actually, like- I did. I did watch SNL and I did. Um, I watched it from very young, probably too young. Uh, my parents were 20 when I was born, so we were just kind of wow. like growing through it together. Um, and my mom and I watched Saturday Night Live a lot, and she would almost always fall asleep during it. Um, but you know, and my then parents, not know when it was inappropriate, right? Or, yes, exactly. And I'd so just be like funny. learning stuff from it, like hmm, interesting. <laughs> um, but I, I do remember like doing a lot of the skits when I was little. Like my parents would be like, "Look, like watch this," <laughs> and then I would like recreate some Saturday Night Live sketch. So that's, that's like so the funny. earliest memory I have of like being into comedy, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just always like I was um, I was a big reader when I was yeah. younger. And I think that kind of led me to writing. And I used to like keep all these notebooks um, that I've recently started like bringing back to L.A. with me and like going through them. Whew, it's so embarrassing to read how yeah. earnest you once were. Uh-huh. It's really like interesting to know like, that, like everything you're saying, you like even though you didn't identify as a performer until kind of recently, mm-hmm. you, it seems like your entire life you've been doing it. Yeah, like under the guise of somebody who's like definitely not making doing observations it. about people. Like that's a lot yeah. of what's in my notebooks, mm-hmm. and like sometimes trying to spin those into like a fictional story. But, um, I mean, and a lot of it is very problematic. I'm just going to put that out. My views about other women were not contemporary. But I, I'll, but like, clear. do you think that, so we, we use the, we use the verb persisting a lot because that's obviously what the title of our show is. Comedy is like your thing that, that has helped you persist through depression, youth, whatever, have school, mm-hmm. everything. How have you felt that like, doing comedy and supporting other women has changed kind of your outlook on creativity? Um, Well, I think that there's been like a lot of focus on like lifting each other up Mm -hmm. and how, you know, it it benefits all of us. And um, I would say that I definitely didn't think that way about other women when I was younger. You know, I definitely saw other women as competition. And, you know, it's... There's a lot of like new age thinking that's a little bit like 
in the ether right now. And I think that like that kind of thinking came from an idea of lack um, and thinking in terms of an abundance that there's like, there's enough for all of us. I mean, even Mm -hmm. like learning, even, you know, starting to act more and like learning about my type, I realized that very few, like when you see somebody who does the same thing as you, as your competition, you're not paying attention to the fact that like the two of you don't bring the same thing to the table. Like no matter, even if it's somebody who looks exactly like you, which by the way, I love going to an audition and seeing like, all of the people who look like a better version of me. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's me, but a foot taller. That's neat. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've been trying to come from a place of, of abundance and just think, you know, there's, there's enough for all of us. And if we work together, then we create more for all of us. And yeah. I also... This is not a popular opinion, but I just have grown to, like, distrust men a lot. Hmm. And even even through growing up when you just like you have guy friends and then they like down the line they reveal that they've just they've had different designs on you the whole time I think that over time that really started to grate on me um and I felt kind of like tricked a little bit um or just like you don't just want to be my friend yeah you know um and I think that that was like difficult and I just I see so much kindness from women towards each other and it's very beautiful and it, you know, men are fine. Some of my best boyfriend are men. Um, But I just think that there's something about the way women support each other. That's like puts us all on the same team and doesn't necessarily have to mean that we're like against someone else. But you know, it, it wasn't that long ago that women had so many limitations on themselves and you know like my one of my great aunts um my grandmother's sister moved out of the house you know unmarried and got her own apartment and she is still alive and thriving and like her dad didn't speak to her like basically disowned her because it was just not something that was done and it's like that was not that long ago if somebody is still like young and active who like experienced that Yeah. And I think we forget. And it's it's the same thing with, you know, all kinds of inequalities in this country. That's like that isn't like distant history. It's pretty recent. Mm -hmm. And trying to think that like, oh, it happened, it's over. And so there's going to be no trickle down effects of that is just delusional. Yeah. And now we have all this freedom. And sometimes I think that like it manifests as us thinking that we have to take every option that's available to us because we are conditioned to please others Mm -hmm. still, you know, it's like, I I feel, I feel like I still had certain gender roles put on me when I was younger. Um, and you know, now I think we sometimes burn ourselves out in an attempt to prove that we can, we can do everything. Yeah. I also like to point out that you are one of the most supportive people because I see you at, not only your own shows, but at so many other people's shows. She's great. I love going to other people's shows. I wish more people did. I also wish I had more time to go to all kinds of different shows. Me too. I wish I was out every night doing that. <laughs> but then like like I did a show last night and I was like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with everybody afterwards. And I like got to the bar they were going to and I was like, I am going to my home. <laughs> That's <laughs> goodbye to me. 
maybe a drink. It takes it takes a lot of energy, mm-hmm. especially after you perform. Yeah, because that's so much, and then you're like the socializing. I think is one of the hardest parts for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it, that was like the easiest part of being in LA when I was in my early twenties and doing shows. It was like I wanted to be out and I had the energy to do it. Yeah. Now I just want to have the luxury of being able to go home and be in bed at a reasonable hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's value in that also. Ugh, love being at home. Annalise, thank you so much. This You're amazing. Awesome. This was great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this being on our so show. Fun. I feel like we could just talk for hours. We talked about so much stuff before the mic was even on. We did. I we learned that <laughs> you're a medium. <laughs> you're a size medium, which yes. is the cutest thing. You also sound like one of the seven dwarves. <laughs> and this is medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's in purple. <laughs> She's a cheerleader, but we did talk about the cheerleading thing. Thank God. Can you leave us with a uh, cheer? B, aggressive, B, E, aggressive, B, E, A, G, G, R, E, S, S, I, V, E. There you go. Yeah. The dance to that one is cool, and I'll show you guys, but they won't be able to see it, so. In their minds, they will. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So much. Thank you. cracks in the walls reminds you of things we said.